everyone, and welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion Video Podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, editorial editor of the Tulsa World. Oh, sorry. I interrupted you. Yeah, and I interrupted you. This is Bob Doucette, editorial writer and columnist and serial interrupter. (laughs) That's okay. That's how conversations are supposed to go. See, in my house, I don't know if anyone can actually finish a sentence. I've got like five uncles, and it's just crazy. So uh, I'm used to it. But we'll get going. You know, the, the one thing that I think happened good this week, and I want to give kudos out to the Oklahoma Republican Party chair, A.J. Farratt. hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, he spoke out against the words of a state Senate candidate. And I forget the, the district, but it's north of Tulsa. But there's a candidate, Jaron Jackson, who has running as a Republican who has put out some of the most vile language, bigoted language against Jews, against a, a particularly against the LGBT community. And it's, you know, at one point, you know, affiliating Jews with evils, saying they were going to hell. Um, the LGBT community is, a, is particularly targeted. And he came in first in the Republican primary for that district. And when the Oklahoman wrote about it, to A.J. Farratt's credit, he said, anti-Semitism does not have a place in the GOP tent. And that gave me some hope that the extremism will not be tolerated. Because these aren't differences of opinion. These aren't political, you know, it isn't wokeness. These are just, it's, it's hate. It's, these are words of hate that we saw, you know, we've seen before in history. And I just think reasonable people need to stand up and say enough. And we don't have enough leaders doing that, that we're just sort of, they'll say off the record behind closed doors, well, we don't really believe that. Well, you're going to have to say that publicly. And he did. And I want to give him credit for that. And I, I hope more people, particularly because this is in the Republican Party, I would say the same things with the Democrats. If they had Democrats had some crazy, extreme people saying things, I would want people standing up in their party. Absolutely. So this just happens to be in the Republican Party, and we need more Republican um, leadership to say no. Because what do you do if, if that person gets elected? You know, this person who is just, it's all just about these extreme QAnon kind of views. What, put them on the Common Education Committee? Put them on the tax oversight? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, now, granted, Greg Treat, as Senate president, could say, I'm not going to give you a committee assignment because these anti-Semitic, hateful, discriminatory kind of ideals don't belong, but I don't know where they go too far. That's not without precedent, though. I mean, I don't know about in the Oklahoma legislature, but in Congress, you know, if... There's been times where somebody went a little bit too far. They stripped them of committee assignments, basically made them powerless. I don't know if Marjorie Taylor Greene has any noteworthy committee assignments at all because of how she has been. And I want to say there was also, I can't remember his name, but there was a House uh, House member from Iowa who was likewise stripped of committee assignments because of some of the stuff he said. So. The thing that you're saying is this guy has a real chance of winning. 
I mean, we're not saying that this, well, that would be a real shame if that guy got in. He's got a shot. He was first. He's going to be in this runoff. He has a chance of winning that seat. And, oh, boy, that opens up a can of worms of a bunch of different things we could get into. We may not have time for today. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's. I think we need to see a little bit more of that where people are stop being afraid of the more fringe elements of your base and say, listen, we have standards that we uphold. We, you're going to represent people in your district that are not going to believe like you, are not going to worship like you. Um, you can't be like that. It's just, you just can't do that and we're not going to condone that. So that's, it's a good positive first step. Maybe we need to see more of that. Yeah, I, I say I, I don't I would hate for him to be out there alone all the time because I think he needs more um, conservative people who don't believe that way to say, no, we don't believe that way. And you don't have a place here. And yeah. um, that's so I, I was actually thinking that he did a good thing. And, I'm, and I hope more people join him because that's yeah. the, the, this extremism is is a bad it's a bad path. I mean, it's it's just and these are again, this isn't wokeness. This isn't. Um, a political difference. When you're talking about Jews are going to hell and they're evil, that's not a political difference. That is hate speech. And and there's just no two ways about it. And we just need more people to call it out. And like you said, not be afraid. Um, so, but, you know, moving on into, into other areas of uh, <laughs> discrimination. So uh, our editorial board took on this week uh, saying that our, our congressional delegation was wrong in two of their votes. And they both voted against, all of them voted against the, I forget exactly the House bill, but one was the right to contraception. All of them voted no. And Representative Stephanie Weiss got on the floor to strongly voice her opposition. And the other was the Marriage Protection Act, which was to protect same-sex marriage and interracial marriage. All of those came from the dissent or not the dissent, the concurring opinion of uh, Justice Clarence Thomas. He specifically pointed to same-sex marriage and contraception as possible areas to overturn in the future for the court. So the reaction was in the House, well, we need to have a federal protection for those things because we've gotten to a point where contraception access is available and used by a lot of women. Um, and also... Same-sex marriage in a Gallup poll just last month, 70% of Americans back that. And interracial marriage, which Clarence Thomas didn't mention, but is protected by the same uh, court precedent that he's criticizing, is obviously accepted. So I don't understand why they would vote against the Marriage Protection Act, to be honest, with the acceptance of it, except for the criticisms were, well, this is a distraction. Because we have high inflation, we're going to not vote for, for marriage. You know, this is, you know, it's all Democrats versus Republicans. But it's not a distraction for people who depend on that right. It's not mm -hmm. a distraction for people who live those lives. And so I don't understand that one. And the contraception one, man, that's the next frontier. Because now we're splitting hairs about contraception. Well, we'll wait. This might, if it causes implant, implantation, 
of a fertilized egg, well, that would be an abortion. Well, and some people think that all birth control is bad because, you know, in their eyes, if God wants fertilization to happen and have a baby, then you shouldn't intercede. I mean, it gets all caught up in theology and splitting hairs, but women use contraception to bring down abortion. You have to have contraception. Right. What are you going to add? Doesn't make, <laughs> that's what makes no sense to me is, I mean, one of the best tools you have to reduce abortions is easy access to birth control. And now we're going to what? I mean, I don't want to sound hyperbolic right now, but I am <laughs> going to sound a little hyperbolic right now. If the aim here is to relegate women to the role of baby makers, well, I guess we're on our way. But my goodness, I mean, we're actually... I don't know if people are outright saying it right now, but it is kind of a thing where we're trying to codify religious beliefs. And once again, we are not, you know, a 100% Southern Baptist nation or Roman Catholic nation or whatever. We're a very pluralistic society. People hate that term, or some people do, but it is what it is. We got a lot of people living in this country. Now we've got this thing with overturning of Roe. So you want to see fewer abortions? Okay. Birth control is one way, one of the most effective ways to do that. But I would also take uh, issue with people saying that this is a distraction. This is not a distraction. It's a reaction. Okay. We have a Supreme Court ruling that came out a month ago. All right a seismic one at that that makes it to where states can outlaw abortion so and to your point with what the justice thomas said about how he thinks the privacy argument the privacy precedent should be struck in these other two areas yeah that's going to make legislators who don't want that to happen don't want to see all of these same-sex marriages annulled. They don't want to see contraception turned into legal taboo and don't want to see certain states decide that interracial marriage is no longer okay. Yes, they are going to try to get something on the books to do that. That's not a distraction. That's a reaction. And if you got a problem with that, then I think you got a problem with the whole democratic constitutional system that we have. That's what lawmakers are there to do. They're there to represent their constituents. And you got a lot of people right now who are very concerned about those three issues. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I have a sizable number of LGBTQ friends. All of them are worried about their right to marry. There's yeah. That is not an overreaction because they were specifically pointed out by a Supreme Court justice. Yeah. And there's a real fear of that. So... You know, our, our our congressional delegation said no. I mean, those, to me, I, I believe our board called it votes for discriminating. Discriminating against women to have the right to contraception and discrimination against LGBTQ people to marry who they want. Now, I watched Stephanie Bice's um, floor speech, and she was very clear that she was blaming the Democrats, of course, because that's in the Democrats blame Republicans. It's equal. But she said that Democrats want the American people to believe that they don't want that Republicans don't want access to contraception. And she disagreed. 
as a woman, the only woman in our delegation. She also mentioned two, having two daughters. But then she went on to, to have concerns about certain types of contraception. So that's where that splitting hairs gets it to. And, you know, the whole abortion debate, all of these sort of issues, the idea of when does life begin? I mean, that's, that's a theological question. Now, James Langford said science proved that life begins at conception. I've never seen science prove that. I've seen some theo theologians argue that, but I've not seen science show that, you know, two cells that are not visible by sight can exist outside the body. So the science argument doesn't wash with me, but again, that I'm a woman. <laughs> so, but the, uh, the contraception is is the next frontier. And I think that it, particularly in the crosshairs are the IUDs, which I think about 20, 15 to 20% of women use. And, and I don't know why they're against that one because that's just to prevent fertilization. And the other one is the plan B or the morning after, which is to prevent fertilization. And in the rare cases that fertilization happens, it prevents implantation. Women wouldn't even know whether something implanted or not, but um, but that was in what I was finding on CDC and different, you know, uh, medical school things, uh, websites. So, but again, that's where we we're headed. And I, th I think our board was pretty strong that there's no reason to, to not back the marriage act. I just, I don't understand that one. But, um, but you, uh, got into, you found, you found this and I found it interesting and, and brought it to the board and our board said, yeah, let, let's get on this, which was, a change, there's a proposal to change the tax on guns and ammunition, and it would have a huge effect on conservation groups. So, so tell yeah. us a little bit about that, because we ended up opposing this measure, and I'll let you explain sort of the background and reasons why. Okay, so the idea behind this came from a Georgia lawmaker, and he wants to repeal uh, the federal excise tax on firearms, ammunition, uh, archery equipment, and that kind of stuff, any kind of gear toward that, um, citing Second Amendment concerns that it infringes on the right to own firearms, which it doesn't, but okay, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. The act was created in the 1930s when people saw dwindling wildlife populations of, of things that people like to hunt, you know, different kinds of waterfowl, you know, deer, elk, turkey, that kind of stuff. So the idea was, is if you get it, if you take this excise tax and use it to fund wildlife conservation programs, you can help those populations recover, which they did. Now, hey, the federal government gets a lot of blame for stuff that it does that doesn't work. This bill worked. It has worked very well. It has had popular support from shooters, you know, sports shooters and hunters and wildlife conservationists and everything like that for decades. And a similar excise tax is on fishing equipment out of a different bill to, to boost that. So what the federal government does is it allows states to put in a little bit of money and for every dollar a state puts in, the federal government will match it with $3 and use that for wildlife conservation. So our state wildlife conservation department depends entirely on 
revenues like this, you know, user fees, licenses, matching federal funds and things like that. Uh, a big chunk of their budget comes from that. They don't get any kind of general fund appropriation. So what the bill would do is repeal that firearms excise tax. It would cut the excise tax on fishing equipment and then replace that revenue loss with like $800 million a year from offshore oil and gas leases that the federal government has. That would cut wildlife conservation funding almost in half, which is astounding. That would be a huge blow. The National Rifle Association is against this bill, as are 42 other hunting, fishing, wildlife conservation groups across the country. Uh, Mark Wayne Mullen is a co-sponsor of it. So, you know, this is an issue that, you know, hits me pretty close to close to home just because I am very much into conservation, uh, have been an avid fisherman for a long time. Uh, it's just really bad legislation that I think it's one of, it's part of a trend of we need to do everything possible to make getting a gun easier. And that's all it is. It would right. be extremely harmful and it would negate a successful, a, you know, coming up on 80 year successful program. Yeah. All of the people I know who are involved because, you know, who are conservationists, but also big hunters, you know, they're big second yeah. amendment guys. They're also against this. And so, and I would yes. not call some of these people liberal at all. I mean, they no. are, that they recognize that, you know, that tax has helped support the wildlife that they enjoy that, yeah. they're out, you know, you, there's a responsibility to take care of, um, you know, the nature around us. So, you know, you know, I hope the congressman starts listening to even just the NRA against it, you know, some of these other groups to realize that, you know, it's already easy to buy a gun, truly. Yeah. I mean, it's, not hard. I mean, sorry, you got to pay a little extra tax. That extra tax goes a long way to keeping our, you know, water clean, our wildlife and, you know, thriving yeah. and different things. And so, you know, those, those whole, you know, there are consequences to, to these kinds, kinds of things. And, and so I found that interesting in our board, obviously, once they found out, you know, the, the funding loss to conservation was against it especially when there's not, again, like, I think you would come up with the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's not yeah. broken. No it, one, it, there, it, there's not, it is no common. one's really saying this problem. Yeah. It's working extremely well. And there's people whose livelihoods sometimes depend on this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, we are trying to actively promote uh, hunting and fishing uh as a as a draw to get people to come to oklahoma and it would be um, tens of millions of dollars of loss in in oklahoma conservation yes amount. yeah so it that's, would be many many millions of dollars of, of lost revenue right off the bat um, and our state cannot replace that money and frankly the federal government's not going to replace it because they're they aren't going to fully replace it with the the proposal you know but then i think you also talk a little bit about your sunday column because you, you 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 stick with the theme here <laughs> yeah. You've been thinking about you've been thinking about nature. Yeah, yeah. So the outdoors lately. I got to uh 
This goes back to a, a couple of months ago. I think the governor came in to talk to the editorial board and uh, he was very much promoting what uh, his office and the state's been doing to attract um, electric vehicle makers and suppliers and things like that. And that just got me to thinking about a few other things that I saw. And I have noticed that Oklahoma being the big oil and gas state that it is, in various sectors is leaning in hard on renewable energy, uh, electric vehicle technology, and all those kinds of things. Um, whether it's from a government effort or corporations doing their own thing uh, within the state and companies from outside the state, you know, taking advantage of these kind of things. So I found uh, you know, I'm not too sure a lot of Oklahomans know this, but about 43% of our electricity is supplied through renewable sources, mostly through wind, but a few other sources. You're starting to see some companies uh, increasingly going in the wind. Uh, we had a story not long ago talking about Cox Communications. <clears throat> they just recently installed a solar array on their East Tulsa facility. So solar, very small piece of it, but it's growing. Um, I didn't mention hydropower because that's not exactly growing, but that's all in the mix. Um, we've had some success, some failures in terms of attracting uh, manufacturers in the electric vehicle market, but there is a strong willingness of the state to attract those kind of uh, manufacturers. And we're starting to see a, a stronger push toward Oklahoma maybe developing uh, hydrogen power as a substitute for gas, gasoline and diesel and things like that. So as much of an oil and gas state that we are, I think this is sort of one of those things where it's kind of like an inevitable tsunami sense of here's how things are beginning to change. Um, not wanting to make anybody in the oil and gas industry uh, feel bad about things. But this, this uh, does appear to be a trend. If it's showing up here in Oklahoma, you know it's showing up pretty much everywhere. You know, I want to have an electric car, but I can't afford it. They're still so expensive. I can't What's afford any kind of new car. Are you crazy? <laughs> I can't afford the used cars right now. Have you checked used? I've got uh, a daughter turning 15. She's already thinking about cars. I'm so used to going, oh, yeah, we'll take $3,000, get a car. My gosh. No. no not, I said, you're going to have to wait a couple of years till we can get our microchips uh, made. And apparently that's a problem in Congress too. Getting yeah. the microchips, that's a whole other, well, that's a whole other, that'll be a next week discussion. Sure. You know, but, but yeah, but my, I ended up writing uh, this week for this Sunday mm -hmm. about the latest LOFT report. LOFT is the Legislative Office for Fiscal Transparency. It's, it's a relatively new arm of the legislature. They wanted to have, they, meaning lawmakers, wanted to have their own analysts and researchers find out things. And I have to admit, I was in this, in this latest one, they looked at education funding. Mm -hmm. And I will admit, and I did in the column, that I was dubious of this report because the last time they put out something on education, which was earlier this year, it claimed that teachers were earning first in the region, which no other study was ever defined. And then when I got into the details, they were adding in all these extraneous factors 
cost of living. They made up something called buying power. I remember that they actually, these animals made up to get to that final thing. And I'm like, well, yeah, statistics courses, add in enough stuff, you can manipulate the numbers. So I was dubious, wasn't <laughs> sure about this, but I started reading into it last night and I don't see that they manipulated the numbers quite so obviously and like that, but there was some oversimplification. Um, I don't, I don't think they, nor do Oklahomans in general, understand the role of the state education department. But there were some interesting and I think worthy takeaways from it. One of which was just how much poverty affects education mm -hmm. and how much more expensive it is to educate kids who are coming from impoverished homes. And when you have a whole school of kids who are coming from low-income areas, then the challenges are even greater. And their conclusion based on their numbers, we're not even close to adequately funding that particular subset of kids. And that Oklahoma has so much poverty that we're really underfunding the whole system. That's something educators have been talking about for years. So yeah. and in the weighted formula. Us too. Yeah. Well, yeah. And in the weighted formula, because you get like, this is where it gets in the weeds, but we have a funding formula that law says we need to update. I was arguing for that years ago. I, and we tried. And in 2017, the legislature had a committee, came up with recommendations to update the funding formula. Nothing. I think one thing got implemented and it was not that significant. But the whole funding formula takes each kid and if you get different amounts based on that kid, if they're if the kid has special needs or um, English second language or gets talented, and they're all weighted differently, each grade level is weighted differently. And they basically said this is outdated, doesn't make sense. They're absolutely correct on that. I quibble a little bit with where they think those weights ought to go, but overall, I agree with that sentiment. It's long overdue and particularly with, with poverty and the effect of poverty. Because I'll hear all the time, you hear it too, Bob, Tulsa Public Schools has in its, in its enrollment some of the poorest families in the area. So you'll hear people say, well, why does TPS, why are the scores so bad? Why is TPS not changed this? Because they're constantly taking in kids in poverty and the challenges with that, they are just not, there's not enough. So... And that's, there are some rural areas that have high poverty numbers. Same thing. You want to know why some of these, you know, mm -hmm. towns, when you have 80% of kids in poverty or 100%, they, that costs more. It just does. So that, but you know, the, the role, and you've covered the Oklahoma Department of Education. There's a sense that people think it's a, like a like a, a regulatory micromanaging kind of thing. Like why why can't they catch audit all these schools? There are 540 school districts. Yeah. The State Department of Ed is not legislatively empowered or even close to having the kind of manpower to audit or investigate every one of those districts. So the way it's set up, local control, we have local boards. Your local school board manages that money, is in charge of auditing the district and in charge of signing off on that. They're legally liable for that. But the local districts, through the, through a coding system, they go into this you know, system 
online system called the Oklahoma Cost Accountability System. I think it's what it is. And they just code, give budget information based on codes. There's human error with that. Obviously, anyone who's worked with any kind of coding. Um, but the State Department doesn't go to all 540 districts to ensure everything they put in is correct. They do a random sample. They will, if there are red flags that pop up, they'll they'll look at that. And that's about all that. They have six people assigned to that system and one investigator. So if the state department, if the state lawmakers and Oklahomans want to blow up that system and make the State Department of Education the regulatory, and that means a whole lot of change. So the big brother. Yeah. But I mean, don't you, do you hear this? When you hear people talk about the expectations they have of the Department of Ed, and I'm not saying they're they're operating fantastic or at 100%, but it just seems like the expectations are not what it actually is. Well, I think it's kind of an oversimplification of how government works. Most people that I talk to when it comes to their schools, they're going to talk about their superintendent their school board representative, what's going on in their district. And if they don't like it, it's like, man, I got to send my kid to a different district. People, I think, understand that the how their education goes is highly dependent on how well a school district is run. At the state level, I think it becomes one of those things you got to understand that we we can do more sort of the whole you know rising tide lifts all boats if we do better by state policy and funding for school districts in general that will help i think that's where the messaging needs to be what can the state department of education do what can the state legislature do to help all of these districts improve uh, and deal with the challenges that you mentioned in terms of poverty, especially in, you know, rural and urban districts. Now, suburban districts do pretty well. Um, suburban districts don't face all of the challenges that urban districts and rural districts do, however, especially when it comes to poverty. Um, and on that note, what I would mention is the success and it seems to be what maybe loft is starting to see the light a little bit the people that are involved in loft starting to see this the success of the state is very dependent on the success of its public schools you know we we wonder why you know tesla or panasonic or whoever didn't come here why didn't they come here because they see the headlines. They understand that right now our schools in Oklahoma are not performing at a level that creates a workforce that these people need. And that overshadows the individual crises that happen to these kids that are coming out of schools where there's too many students in each classroom, the teachers are harried to no end, they're having to teach to tests without, you know, instead of actually teaching the subject matter. And then they just get needled endlessly by political opportunists. It's, if you want to understand why it's happening, I mean, if, I think I've said this before, I think we've written, we've written this before. If you want your car running right, 
the last thing you need to do is open the hood and start taking a baseball bat to it. You need to maintain it. You need to improve it. You need to take care of it and not, you know, start shooting it with, with bullets. Right. And it's more of a, you're being a, it's like things. surgery. Yeah. You, you know, yeah, you brought up a good point. Uh, Steve Lewis wrote an op-ed that we're running this weekend and he is the, for, he was former house speaker, former yeah. U.S. attorney from the Northern District. And he makes that argument that the reason we lost Panasonic, he goes, no one ever really tells you the real reason. He goes, but when you compare Kansas to Oklahoma, Oklahoma, so Kansas has a higher taxation rate overall. I mean, that package may have been better for Panasonic, but he uses education as the example. He goes, they invest so much more in education. So his argument using as an example is we lose out when we don't invest in people that we're yeah. big about cutting taxes, but we aren't big about investing in our people. And that until Oklahoma can turn that around, we're going to continue losing that. So he makes that that very point. And you know, when I when I was reading that report with the Department of Ed, what what really the Department of Ed is is a, is a pass through that it's taking the money and yeah. passing most almost you know uh, most of it on to local school districts, and then they decide how to spend it. And the Department of Ed also is sort of like it's a repository for information data, and a lot of data, um, and then also kind of sets minimum policies and guidelines. It's not it's it's not kind of what I think people think it is. And, and the example of that, and what got me is at the very end of that report, because everyone talks about administrative costs are ridiculous, the administrative costs are everything. And I do think that we have to control that. And there are some areas that I look at, but by law, you can only spend so much on administrative costs and it's defined by law. And there were only, I think, 15 districts that went over that. And they list all of those 15 districts and the amount that they went over that administrative cost. Top two, by far, epic charter schools, epic blended charter schools. And it was like $7 million over, $3 million over. Then the next one was a place called Rock Creek, and it was $60,000 over. So, I mean, that's the, the, the difference. And then it went down to like billings, went over by $200. So, but when epic, and we all know the saga and the scandal of that, took years to get lawmakers to, to do something about that. And when the state auditor came out and said, hey, yeah, there's a problem here. We They've been violating the law. And I'll say the founders and the chief, whatever, financial officer facing racketeering charges. But when that report came out that started that, <laughs> lawmakers went after the Department of Ed, not yeah. after Epic. And that's and that's what I, I'm thinking, do they not know how it works? And then, when Superintendent Hoffmeister wanted to downgrade their accreditation, the board was stopping it. So, you know, the Department of Ed doesn't have a whole lot of say, but, you know, that was the, when I was reading that, I go, that's the example of, you know, here we had this problem and they wanted the Department of Ed to do something and they tried and it took, you know, arresting three people to to finally maybe hammer that home. So, so anyway, it, investigations. But, yeah, but the loft report, all those loft reports, L-O-F-T, by the way, loft, is they sort of do give an idea of where lawmakers are thinking. So some of that will come back up in, in the sort of like legislative studies, which are going on. Those will be coming back up when the session begins. So it's something to keep in mind. And even though I quibble with some of the details, 
um, the general ideas I think are, are pretty worthy of this. So, so anyway, that was our week, kind of crazy, but um, so yeah. Well, you know, a high point of my week, my son, my teenage son that I've mentioned a few times, he and his band had their first public gig. Ooh. He did not tell me about it because I'm his mom, but his band members did. They went down to Gypsy Coffee House on an okay. open mic night and rocked out. Nice. More on the hard rock Metallica side of things and say my husband who plays folk music. So, That's... so but I didn't go, but I was sent a video <laughs> by someone there. And I'm the proud mom, and he did not want me in the crowd of cool people clapping. So I just I waited think for that's that's home. hilarious. I mean, have you ever been there, Gypsy? Yes, yes. It was funny because the video, they're all sitting down. So they're playing oh. like this hard rock music, sitting down. And I'm like, that's just that's, that's not very punk rock of you. He's like, Mom, we didn't have very much room. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last time I was in there, it was um Lots of tattooed people in a knitting circle drinking coffee. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. That uh, that's why I love Tulsa. <laughs> I know. Well, Gypsy is a great story because they opened up there when nobody was out there. Oh yeah, I, I think I it was Spaghetti Warehouse. Find it. Yeah, it was Spaghetti Warehouse and them, and everything yeah. else in that part of downtown was just bleak. So they've yeah. been doing it forever, but the idea of a of a a young metal group sitting on bar stools is just the yeah. best. I, I love that. That's yeah. amazing. So I don't know what their band name is. I think they're working on the band name. So I said Mama's Boys, but they uh my son rolled his eyes and the band members were like laughed and thought, Your mom's funny. <laughs> I, I go with killer chickadees. I'll, I'll suggest that. No matter what I suggest, even if it actually is cool, they would never adopt it. I'll have to have Someone else suggested. So, <laughs> so what's up with you? What are you gonna What are you gonna end? What thought are you gonna end with? Um, thank goodness for the rain. It's starting to cool no, off. It's hot rain. Well, at least it's not 108 degree rain. That's true. There's that. So there's you know that kind of stuff going on. And I I uh, stepped in a puddle yesterday and it was hot and it was gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They. Uh, there's a, a group of people that I go out to Turkey Mountain with on Tuesday nights. We we get through doing our thing, you know, we'll hang out at the trailhead and whatever. And there's like some rocks there. Uh -huh. So by the time we're done, the rocks are all in shade, just these big boulders by a statue of a ram. And even at 8.30, you can't sit on those rocks very long because they're just still too hot. They've absorbed so much heat that it gets uncomfortable to sit on it. It's like, all right, this is interesting. This yeah. is a different kind of summer. Well, I sat up, I, I when the rain comes down, I was just pretending it was a cold Seattle day. Like I had my fan on, I listened to the rain. I'm like, let's just pretend. So, you know, anyway. But anyway, I hope everyone has a good weekend. Yes. Good vibes out to you. And we will see you next week. See Thank you.